Okay, let's start again. Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. <laughs> How's it going? I, <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> I don't know why we have the giggles. You know why we have the giggles? It's because both of us drank wine before we started recording yeah. this. So I'm just going to ignore that uh, you didn't respond to me. And I'm going to go right into um, what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about liberal schemes again. spoke about liberal schemes we were talking about free tuition fees or the promise that the Ontario Liberals made to to give us free tuition fees the promise of basic income measures and the promise of pharmacare these were the things that we were talking about I want to talk about a different type of liberal scheme this is a scheme that manifests in liberals creating new organizations or infiltrating organizations to try to mm. shore up mm. support. Yeah, yeah. And and you're not talking about infiltrating like wardrobes when you're in India, are you? No, no. Although Justin Trudeau, like I feel like the world is finally seeing what I see every single time I see him. I'm like, that is him. That's like the <laughs> real him. Like, yeah, this, yeah, yeah this, exactly. Um, India trip disaster is exactly who he is. So for the rest of the world, we've been living in this hell for quite some time. Oh, and especially American progressives, because fuck them for loving him and fuck them for being like, oh, true dough becomes true dope. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so, so terrible. Yes. Oh, yeah, it totally is. All the Americans who love up on him make me really annoyed. But, I, you know, I just his his like exotifying of, of India just, you know, really spells out exactly who he is and exactly what his party is so congratulations everybody gets to see the real him but no that is not the scheme that i'm talking about i am talking about the liberals scheme right now to um capitalize on this kind of uh you know what's the word i'm looking for it's a a moment in black organizing in canada And they want to capitalize on it and they want to take all of this newly mobilized uh, fervor and turn it into liberal support. Mm. Mm -hmm. And how are they doing this? They have created an organization. It is called, well, okay, I should say that it is like, you know, we we were just discussing before this how, you know, we don't have lawyers. So, you know, we got to be really careful (laughs) about what we're saying on this thing. So (laughs) I don't really know that the liberals have created this organization. I'm just like have a really strong inkling that the liberals have a very strong hand in supporting or have, you know, maybe, you know, it's Mm. possible that they have helped to create this organization called the Federation of Black Canadians. 
And I know about this. Mm, like, mm-hmm. I, I strongly suspect this based on all of the things that I've seen this organization do, but also because of the history that I have with other liberal front organizations that are their whole purpose is to deliver support to the liberal party and to dampen the effect of activist organizations. And of course, Nora and I mm-hmm. have experienced that history together. The history of the liberals and co-opting movements is something that's very important to talk about because the liberals play very well to people who feel like no one represents them. And and they have found that sweet spot of a party that represents the lawyer elite professional class and somehow immigrant communities or marginalized communities or women or other communities that don't feel like quote unquote, the mainstream, which tends to kind of default to the conservatives, represents them. And so the but the front movement, uh, our experience, mine and your experience has has often shown that the conservatives have tried to use fronts to boost their image or boost their their membership or boost their activism. But the liberals are are adept in it in a in a way that we that we very rarely talk about. And so for you to witness the birth of a new organization apparently out of nowhere with the experience that you have, I think is quite uh quite interesting. And I would be very interested to hear how how was it that you started to feel like this organization may not be the grassroots organization that it purports to be. And I have like some ideas on how you probably figured it out, but. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I, you know, I, obviously we have this experience, which we'll talk about a little bit later with, um, with another uh, liberal front organization, but no, I didn't immediately start thinking that. I received an invitation to go to a national convening of black Canadians. I accepted. I wasn't, in the end, able to go for various reasons. But the invitation came from the Mikhail Jean Foundation. And while I wasn't able to go, I was following along very, very carefully on Twitter. And in fact, I was tweeting as though I was there. I was not there. Many people were like, we tried to find you. We saw you tweet. I was not there. Um, I was tweeting as though I was there because I was getting a lot of information from people who were there. And what was announced at that at that first convening, this first national convening, um, was that uh, this was being done not by the Mikhail Jean Foundation, but it was being done by the uh, by the Federation of Black Canadians. I thought that was very strange uh, because I didn't receive an invitation from the Federation of Black Canadians. I was like, who are they? Where did they come from? I tried to find information online. I couldn't find anything, couldn't find a website. But here was this organization saying that they existed. They had a, a steering committee. They had an organizational plan. They were saying that they they had all these this policy experience, but they couldn't they weren't pre- presenting a policy document they were the chair of it was a, a is a sitting judge which seems to be strange for an advocacy organization and i was just like how does an organization like this get the ear of the Michael Jean Foundation get the type of funding that they need to put something like this together and essentially establish themselves my my alarm bells went off almost immediately but uh, the other thing that that uh, set off my alarm bells was that there were a number of politicians who were invited to that first national convening. 
Uh, the majority of them were liberals. Mm. There were other politicians who were invited. Jagmeet Singh was there. Uh, Mayor Tory was there. Because he's so black. You, you know, it was like, to me, I was like, why is Mayor Tory invited to this <laughs> national convening of black Canadians? He should be, <sighs> like, panned um, oh, at yeah. the opening, the middle, and at the end. But there it was. And so I was, I was just, you know, I was like, this is really strange that, you know, these politicians are being invited. And I'm really weirded out that it was mostly liberals. So these are the things that set off my alarm bells. But at that point, I, I, I criticized what they did, but I never said publicly at that point that I thought it was a liberal front because uh, there wasn't enough yet uh, there for me to, to, to really uh, be able to say that with certainty. But, it, you know, those, those thoughts were there in the back of my mind. But and also remind and us, that, but hold on, remind us what the gathering looked like, because I remember looking at it online and thinking, wow, this looks pretty impressive. Like, so how many people, who were they? Was it truly national? Well, you know, like I said, I wasn't there, but it was a good cross-section. So there was a, a lot of folks from Black Lives Matter. There were folks from the Urban Alliance on Race Relations. There were folks who were involved in in arts and media, like Amanda Paris. There were folks, uh, Desmond Cole was there. There were folks like Elle Jones, um, really great established activists, um, you know, and in addition to, uh, you know, like the, the more political class of, of of black folks in in Canada and a more elite class of black folks in Canada. So it was it was actually very representative from what I've I've heard. But again, I wasn't there, so um, I'm maybe not the best person to to represent what exactly it looked like. But it looked I know I was I felt like I was missing a lot because everybody that I knew was there, and I was like, oh, I wish I could have been there. Um, don't hear much from them for a little bit. And then February comes along, February 1st. On February 1st, Justin Trudeau, our favorite um, new citizen of India, decides that he is going to uh, make some sort of uh, announcement about Black History Month on February 1st. So he he holds a press conference, uh, and in this press conference, he, he makes mention of things like, you know, Black folks in Canada experience anti-black racism. Okay, weird. Like, never have heard anybody at the federal level talk about anti-black racism. So in some ways, that's that's something of a deal, I suppose. I don't know. And he says that, you know, this manifests in over-representation and incarceration. It manifests in uh, the way that uh, black folks are policed when compared to non-black folks. It manifests in education. I might be giving him too much credit because I don't really remember, but I know he, he mentioned incarceration for sure. And then he says, and the government is going to be doing something about this. The government has been meeting with the Federation of Black Canadians. Okay, so this is literally about a month and a half after they've announced their existence. The government is now announcing that they have been meeting with them and that in, in taking steps to address anti-blackness in Canada, we are, and I'm like, oh yes, okay, let me hear these policy ideas. This is gonna be wonderful. We are going to recognize that this is the UN decade for people of African descent. And I'm like, what? Dude, that started three years ago. What the fuck? Like, you are late to this party. Like, this is so reprehensible. But while he's saying this, there's like a crowd of like black people behind him who are clapping like, yes, yes, this is wonderful. And those people were from the Federation. 
And and then, you know, it gets even more ridiculous because he's like, okay, question time. So proud of myself. And the journalists are like, well, actually, we don't care about black folks. We only want to talk about sexual assault and me, too. We have no questions for you on this stuff. And so that was annoying. But then I'm like, okay, well, that was fucking weird. Like, that was so strange. It was, you know, the press conference was only slightly longer than um, Patrick Brown's press conference on, um, you know, denying the sexual <laughs> assault allegations. Uh, but then I go on to uh, the, the Federation of Black Canadians website and they have a press release out already congratulating or no, sorry, applauding the government for making this historic announcement and and uh, recognition. And I'm like, what the hell kind of advocacy group? would congratulate the government for literally doing nothing, for doing worse than nothing. That doesn't make any sense. And as part of this, you and I know, you and I know very well. Right. And as part of that announcement, they also announced that they would be having a lobby day on February 12th to lobby the federal government. And again, I was like, Lobby the federal government on what? Like, you don't have any established policy. We still don't really know who you are. Like, you've just congratulated the government for, like, being like, oh, b- black people exist three years late. Like, I just don't really know what what you're going to be lobbying on. And so, you know, I made a bunch of tweets to say, like, ah, this is so weird. Don't like it. I'm really convinced that this is a liberal front. How did Justin Trudeau know to even talk to this group of people who only was born, like, fucking yesterday? And then we get a call. Black Lives Matter gets a call saying we would like to invite you to this lobby day, which is weird because, you know, I think it's pretty established that we, like, as Black Lives Matter, we don't uh, do closed door meetings with politicians but you know it was nice that i suppose that they were like ah we gotta do this and um they were like yeah just so you know we're taking a ministerial approach to this so we're 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 just gonna be meeting um to talk about policy with with ministers and of course what that really means is that they're only going to be meeting with liberals Right. They're not right. going to be meeting with any opposition parties. And as somebody who has organized a number of different lobby initiative initiatives in the past, it doesn't benefit anybody but the the party in power to not speak to the opposition parties who very may very well um, put the, the requisite type of pressure that's needed um, that could make, you know, as far as a lobbying effort can go, uh, that can make a lobbying effort. Uh, successful and we were like what you're only going to meet with liberals like this is really weird and then during this course of that conversation they're like ah well maybe we'll try to meet with a caucus of oppositions if we have time but we're, we're really focusing on the ministers here right so I don't know Nora like what does that sound like to you like on the face of everything that I've just told you does that not make your alarm bells go off like I'm not sure like yeah. was I overreacting or <laughs> what do you think uh, the liberals are masters at this, and so, and you know that, and so I, I defer to your wisdom because I think you're totally right. <laughs> well, um, thank you. Yeah. Well, like did, you know, the first question I would have is, did they talk about uh, pot sentences and converting former criminal records to being something when they legalized drugs? Of course, they didn't talk about that, right? Like, I assume they didn't. Mm-hmm. Did they? 
they 100% deny. Right? Like, I mean, maybe in the policy meetings, like, I have no idea. There was no policy document that was published or yeah. anything like that. Nobody has any idea what happened in those meetings. No. So let me let me tell you my entry into this announcement, because I also paid very close attention to this announcement. And partly it's because, like, I'm a super wicked ally and I totally care about black lives and how the government deals with them. Partly it's because Trudeau had just been in Quebec City and I had just been dealing with him directly, like personally. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that struck me during the commemoration of the attack on the mosque was the effect on black lives. Right. Because two of the men who were killed were black. Two of the widows are black and black people in Quebec City are are a, a minority of a minority of a minority. And so I was really struck by um, the commemorations in Quebec City for the shooting at the mosque, how there wasn't much talk about black lives because the two men who were killed who were Ghanaian were kind of a footnote because their widows didn't take the spotlight, except, you know, right before the, the commemoration, we had uh, one of the widows uh, take a microphone, which was pretty amazing. But that that intersection of of blackness and of being uh, Muslim and of being in the center of a tragedy like it was and a tragedy that was focused so much on kind of like the white understanding of being Arab because Islamophobia and anti-Arab sentiment are so interlinked that the blackness of the victims was totally erased, in my opinion. And we had uh, we had just had uh, Justin like <laughs> I literally was in charge of telling Justin what to do that night. Oh wow! <laughs> which I'm was, sorry. Which was weird. My condolences. Oh, yeah. in French, oh, in Jesus. in motherfucking French. <laughs> That's weird. It was yeah, it was really weird. And um and he had he had just met with the victims and uh, and then they walked over from the mosque to the site. And uh, and, the, you know, the vigil went very well and, and whatever. And it was very stressful because I was really involved. And so I kind of like had this moment of release the day after. And then I'm seeing this announcement of Justin automatically in Ottawa. I'm like, oh, how did you get there? Did you fly? Did you drive? Like all these kind of goofy kind of things that you think about. And then I was seeing voices. I don't know if I saw your voice. I'm, maybe I did. But I saw other people being like, what? What is this announcement? Like out of nowhere, there's a. Uh, an organization, there's a structure, there's a hierarchy, there's um, paying lip service to an organization that apparently exists to do literally nothing, to to commemorate a decade. I think I saw a couple of people on Twitter being like, wow, great. Fuck Black History Month. We're <laughs> a Black History Decade. This is wicked. Oh, seven like, years. Literally useless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so, so definitely, uh, is this a liberal front? Like, the liberals... Our experience says for sure that this is all set up to promote the liberal agenda. And if you look at other things that they have promised to do and they haven't changed, and I'm thinking specifically about indigenous demands around drinking water and, you know, children, child services or funding health and and education on on reserve, Mm -hmm. you know that the second that they have opposition, they're not interested in that. And instead, they'll they'll reach immediately to a friendly group, whether or not it's a front organization or or a real organization, it doesn't matter. If they're towing the liberal line, they are there and they are happy to do it. Yeah. And that and those then organizations become less of advocacy organizations and more defenders for the status quo. And I'm not saying that everybody in these organizations are just, you know, evil, evil liberals. I really think that the liberals are really smart at manipulating 
organizations, manipulating people within organizations and making them think that they're doing the right thing when really what what they're doing is dampening the effects of, uh, you know, in, in this particular case, what could be a more radical movement. It should be more radical. Yes, exactly. Especially at this particular moment in blackness across the, the globe, like it 100 percent should be more radical. But like black liberation is not going to be won by the Liberal Party of Canada. Like that is fucking obvious. <laughs> or we would have had it already. Like we yeah. would have already had it, y'all. Like, yeah. <laughs> It'd be like fucking like, wow, they gave gay marriage. Like, congratulations. <laughs> right? Like, right? It's like uh, it's it's like we we keep going back to this thing that you, you and I keep saying like the the win is in the organizing the win is in yeah. the struggle it will never yeah. come from the government just doing it out of the graciousness of their hearts never and one of the things that I definitely learned from our time you and I Nora in this student movement is that in in these front organizations you can always kind of tell what the government is going to do next because these front organizations will all of a sudden adopt something as an official policy yeah something that they haven't done before then the government will announce it as as something that they're willing to do and then those front organizations will say aha we have won. We've d- done exactly what we've needed. You know, yeah. we are the most effective organization. And it's this reciprocal relationship where the government legitimizes the advocacy front organization because they do what the advocacy front organization says that they're going to try to make the government do. But they get that list from the government. And so um, there's a there's a list of, of policies that the Federation of Black Canadians published uh, to say that they were going to be working on in their in their uh, in their lobby day that happened on February 12th. Uh, They didn't say how they were going to be working on it. Like they just published this list. It was like, um, you know, uh, I think it had there was something on marijuana in there. There was like incarceration. There was uh, immigration. And that to me says that the government between now and the election will be making some sort of announcement that will legitimize the Federation of Black Canadians as a legitimate lobby group. And the Federation of Black Canadians will say, look, see, we did it. Even though they'll never, they will never ever see exactly how they lobbied, like what their policy was, what they were asking the government to do. But it's this reciprocal relationship that that tells people who are watching on the outside who may not have the type of political savvy or experience that myself and Nora have, it tells those people, look, these this advocacy organization said that they were going to get something done and they did and it also tells people that all we really need to do is have nice quiet and respectful conversations with justin trudeau uh with perhaps a namaste or two and it will be all fine we will win everything that we want and we know this because of an organization called usa (laughs) i'm so happy (laughs) you get to talk about usa and this whole time i'm thinking mental health mental health Mental health. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about flat fees, to be honest. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, no, tell the story. Tell the people what USA means, what the acronym is, what it stands for. Okay. Tell the people, Nora. Tell the people okay. that they're waiting okay. to hear. Maybe the CSA also, but USA more. They don't even count because they're so shit. Like, the CSA yeah, is like, 
Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah. USA stands for the Ontario Undergraduate Student Alliance, and they were founded in 1993, and they were founded to, I don't know, like, take down the Ray government, maybe, who who cares? Like, they're, whatever, they've been around for a while. And they represent, it's a student organization, and they represent student unions at uh, the schools in Ontario that you would think of first, with the exception of U of T, when I ask what universities are there in Ontario? You'd say Queens, Western, Mac, and then you'd never fucking say the rest. <laughs> but there's some other ones in there too. Okay. Sorry, Laurier. <laughs> Sorry, Waterloo. Um, so they, they like, there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a long history about how they're organized and how uh, ex-representatives become part of the liberal government, which we know directly uh, to be the case. But they they often prop up government policy, as Sandy said, before the policy becomes official. And so we would see this all the time. If we were fighting for lower tuition fees and USA came out in the Toronto Star to say we need a freeze, which was different than lower fees, we would know that that's what the government was thinking. They were like... They were like those things that you made in Girl Guides, these little wool characters that you put outside. And it's like, how do you tell the temperature? It's like, if he's covered in ice, it's freezing. If he's really hot, it's warm. If he's gone, he's been, you know, he's fallen off or he's been eaten by a dog. <laughs> uh, I don't know if everybody had those or just me, but I had them a couple of times. But I wasn't in Girl Guides. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, guides was really weird, actually, and I had to quit. But anyway, um... <laughs> we uh you had these things to tell temperature based on how obvious something was and with USA it was always very obvious what the next thing was coming and so Sandy mentions flat fees which I'm sure you'll talk about but I I remember USA all of a sudden becoming very interested in mental health and mental health on campus is a very complex issue because it touches tuition fees and debt course load uh, the kind of courses that you have, you know, whether or not you have parental pressure uh, putting you into one class or another and you can't really handle it because you don't want to be in this class, you want to be in that class, whatever. There's a lot of different compounding issues. But from our perspective and ours being, uh, I would say, like, you know, the student movement, uh, mental health was often mostly exacerbated by high tuition fees, high student debt and the stresses that come with both. And all of a sudden, USA was like, yeah, we totally agree. Mental health's a big deal. And we're going to launch a mental health fucking thing or some shit. USA was coming out with these mental health focused strategies that, oh, very surprisingly, showed up also in government announcements or budget announcements or whatever. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened with the online university, which you were very involved in as well, mm -hmm. Sandy. That's right. And of course, flat That's fees. Right. And of course, flat fees. So flat fees, for those of you who weren't paying attention to post-secondary education policy back in, you know, 2008 to 2014, um, the University of Toronto used to charge um, students per course. And then one year they were just like, oh, we're just going to charge students per program instead so even if you were taking three courses where you would have you know before been paying per course like say each course was a thousand dollars about three thousand dollars um all of a sudden you would still be paying for five even if you took three so it would be like an increase of two thousand dollars if you were used to taking three courses a year obviously students were very frustrated about this this was a very long fight and you know i was at the university of toronto when this was happening 
I was an undergraduate student. It was something that I, I fought against. And then I was elected to be the provincial chair. And while nobody else seemed to really be like into this, I was like, this will be in every single policy document. This will be everything that we talk about. I will never stop talking about flat fees. And everyone's like, okay, like it only affects one school. And I'm like, no, it That's doesn't. So true. This is like the most important That's thing true. in the world. <laughs> it affects Tread, it's so true. Too. It's like literally how every discussion went. Like, Sandy, do we really need to have a whole other section about flat fees? Yes, we do. And every time we went to speak to yeah, government, I would like true. insist that we talk about this thing that really just, I know, I know it feels kind of selfish because it, it really just affected my school. But I just thought, you know, this is a precedent. It's going to happen <laughs> everywhere. We must stop it now. No, you're right. You're so fucking right. It did. It, it happened at Trent. It happened at Guelph or something. Yes. Like it was not just yes. U of T, I but was, and I was you're like right. Mega yeah. obsessed with this thing. Um, and the, I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna win this fight. I don't care what anybody tells me. Everyone was like, it's a lost cause. Anyway, this is how I organize. Anyway, so you know, while we're doing this, you know, we would go to meetings. Um, Nora and I, in particular, because Nora was the government relations person and I was the chairperson, and we would sit next to the folks from USA who would literally say not a single thing about not a single policy they would usually mm -hmm. congratulate the government or thank the government um, for whatever it was that they were doing on post-secondary <laughs> education um, and sometimes they would fall asleep asleep and audibly snore while Nora and I and I'm not kidding about this I want you to know that I'm not just trying to be funny like literally we witnessed representatives of the Ontario Undergraduate Student Alliance falling asleep in front of um, uh, the people who so. administer the student loan <laughs> program in Ontario yeah. and like yeah. the minister of training colleges and universities, which is what it was called at that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I still I am so angry. I was like, this is like supposed to be competition. I'm so upset by this. Anyway, and Nora and I would take up, uh, I would say, 90 percent of these conversations at all times with all the policies that we'd, we wanted to change, explaining why students were taking to the streets, explaining why students were, you know, doing walkouts or whatever it was that students were doing in terms of direct action in order to get the policy changes that we needed. Um, and the Ontario Undergraduate Student Alliance, this front organization for the liberals and the, the College Student Alliance, another front organization not worth talking about, would sit and do nothing or sleep. All of a sudden, like, you know, four years into um, the flat fees thing being into existence, USA starts saying that they want to fight flat fees. Why? I don't know. Not a single one of the universities that they represented had this as an issue. They were never paying attention during any of the the lobby sessions that we had where I was present and the only person like fervently talking about this. It was at that moment that I knew that I was about to win this campaign. <laughs> like, And I say I very specifically because again, <laughs> nobody cared about this but me. And, <laughs> Like, I was like, if USA is talking about this, then that means that the government is about to announce that they're going to do something on this issue. And at that time, yeah. I had gone back to working at the University of Toronto. I had started doing a whole bunch more campaigns on, on campus with the undergraduate students who I was working with. 
And we were collecting petitions. We were we were talking to students about it. We were going to have our own lobby sessions as a as a student organization. And um, and I was making calls to people in in the government offices, being like, "I'm still obsessed with this. I know it's been four years, but this needs to change." And <laughs> and <Right>. lo and behold, <laughs> months after USA announces that this is now one of their new policy changes, they announced that they're having this special meeting to talk to the government about about flat fees, uh, they do that. And then very shortly afterwards, we win the campaign. Now you can say right. that it was USA who did this. Like it, people have said, you know, like there were so many people working on this campaign. I want you all to know that no, it was like literally me. <laughs> there <laughs> yeah. were so many people working on this campaign. We have no idea like who is really responsible for it. But in terms of like the research, in terms of the the uh, work on the ground that was happening, organizing all of the direct action, meeting with the lobby, um, yeah. the with uh, meeting with the government and having these lobby sessions, writing uh, research paper after research paper after research paper, like this, mm-hmm. this was not anything that USA had done. They literally were on this campaign for I think four to six months, and at that and after that the government announced that they were going to get rid of or seriously regulate flat fees and um, this had uh, thousands of dollars of impact on students across the province and in particular at the University of Toronto yeah and uh, USA was able to say the Ontario Undergraduate Student Alliance this liberal front group was able to say we won this we did this and the liberals listened to us yeah where that was not at all how that went down no and and also um... Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but we were also organizing very aggressively at McMaster at the same time. And I feel like McMaster was one of the universities that also may have fallen into this flat fee discussion because it was such an easy cash grab for the university to impose. Although this would have been 2012. But like we were nipping at the heels of these organizations and becoming a threat. So it also wasn't just like uh, even a good like a whim of the liberals that then was you know, channeled to USA to then advocate for it to then win. Like this was a groundswell of action that we were able to show was bad. And there was a couple of other really great examples of that, which might be lost to history now. I'm thinking specifically Glenn Murray's idea of transforming higher education. But anyway. (laughs) Oh, my God. Glenn Murray. We need to do a whole show on Glenn Murray. That's like a whole other situation. (laughs) That's a whole other situation. Poor guy. But um, but but I, I you know in this whole conversation you haven't necessarily talked about how we knew they were a front organization other than the pattern of calling for something and the government delivering which was a consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. also personalities. There were people that went from the organization itself to the liberal government, very obviously, and we started to get word that there were like uh, a council of elders that helped to maintain the direction of the organization to make sure that if there was a renegade uh, representative from Western or from Queens or whatever the fuck, they wouldn't be able to change the the narrative because the liberal, like, you know, L, big L liberal party of Canada still very much had control over this organization. And the impact was incredible because it meant that we, as like the non-liberals, had to do everything. We had to not only be in the streets and do the radical action to whatever extent we could, 
But we also then had to meet with them and put on our fucking suits to be like, yeah, we're going to play this game as well because we know that these motherfuckers all are going to get jobs at the fucking ministry, which they have, and they're all going to get jobs for the cabinet and the fucking wind government, which they fucking have, to enact their fucking total hell of higher education upon all of us. And it's like, wow, wow. Like, nothing. There's a lot of things about my life today that are very <laughs> surprising. Everything that's happened in the Ontario government is not that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, like, actually, like, as you say, so easy to prove. Like, you watch yeah. these organizations that crop up, and you can just follow the people who have been uh, who have been involved in these organizations, who are involved in re- running these organizations. Watch their trajectory. Where do yep. they end up? They end up in the Liberal Party. Like, I yep. just, in high-ranking positions in the Liberal Party. I've been, you know, for years and years and years, like, oh, my God, we must do some sort of expose on this. But people were nervous about it. And I understand that. But, you know, if if uh, Campus Press wasn't so, you know, enamored with the freaking, you know, whatever the next flavor scandal of the week was, you know, this would actually be a major issue that they could take down. So, you know, I'm getting all of uh, my the the hopes and dreams that I wanted in, you know, freaking five, six 10 whatever years ago in wanting to take down this organization and really trying to get the Federation of Black Canadians exposed before people uh, buy into it. Because the danger in that is that what it does is it serves to weaken and dampen um, radical mobilization that is happening. Yeah. Because it tells people who may be, you know, might be interested in radical organizing, might be interested in working with uh, a radical activists that mm-hmm. actually there's another way and it's 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 more effective if we are quieter if we are more patient if we just meet with the liberal party look they're wonderful people and uh you know <laughs> frick you know they 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 recognize um the decade of uh of people of african descent mm-hmm. and we just have to be patient blah 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 and instead uh, you know, and and people might buy into that instead of doing the radical action in, on the ground that has happened from all sorts of groups, not just Black Lives Matter, and has forced all sorts of policy changes um, that uh, affect the Black community. Um, uh, you know, from Vancouver to to Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Well, Newfoundland. I think there's 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 Black people there too. Uh, to Newfoundland, yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I just I don't know of any policy changes affecting Black folks happening in Newfoundland. So that's why I said Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, like we we really saw the effects of this in the in the student movement in Ontario. Yeah. Um, and I so want to warn people that you know when when you see these types of things happening in your community i know that this type of thing exists in indigenous community as well yeah be very cautious don't trust liberals just don't do it it's bad for your health 